Hello, everyone. Um, it's nice to be here with you on this sunny morning. Um, today, we're going to be, we're starting out, as you know, as a church on this crossroad, this um, road to the cross that Jesus was taking. And we're going to be spending time as a church reflecting on this last week um, of Jesus' life with his disciples on this road that led to the cross. Um, And today we're at Palm Sunday, this kind of momentous stage in Jesus' life where he got to the gates of Jerusalem and started entering into the city. And it's an event full of profound significance. Um, And we're going to be thinking about that later on. But first of all, I want us to start, I want us to kind of reverse up the road a little bit and start a bit further up. Um, just before Jesus gets to Jerusalem, as he's working from Jericho down the road towards Jerusalem. And I want us to look at two um, particular encounters Jesus had, um, first of all with his disciples, and then with a blind man named Bartimaeus. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10. Um, And I think I'll start reading from verse 32. Um, And we'll read all the way to the end of chapter 10. So it's a fairly long reading. And as I read, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to see what these two stories, these two stories about James and John and blind Bartimaeus have in common. Okay, so see if you can spot a link between the two stories. So verse 32 of chapter 10. They're on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, that's the other disciples, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. And then they come to Jerusalem. Okay, so did anyone notice what those two stories had in common with each other? Anything stand out to you? I'm going to let you try and answer it. Maybe that's asking too much. Anyone? Go on, Peter. Yes, that's the answer I wanted. Yeah, there was a few things, so I was worried you might come up with a different answer, but that's the one I wanted. (laughs) Jesus, in both cases, using exactly the same words according to Mark, says, what do you want me to do for you? He said that to James and John when they said, do whatever you want, we ask you to. And he said it's a blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? So I think Mark's trying to get us to look at these two stories, to compare these two uh, people, James and John and Bartimaeus, and look at their response to this question. Because it is a very revealing question indeed. What do you want me to do for you? And what I want us to see today is that this question reveals, first of all, our hearts. It reveals our need and it reveals our God. It reveals our hearts, it reveals our need, and it reveals our God. First of all, it reveals our hearts by inviting us to lay bare our ambitions. It exposes our kind of of heart's desire and exposes the limits of our understanding. By inviting us to lay bare our ambitions, it exposes our heart's desire, exposes the limits of our, our understanding. So this is the basic premise of the um, that classic genre of joke, the genie in the lamp joke. Okay, so I was wasted a couple of hours um, in preparation for this, looking at genie in the lamp jokes on the internet. I chose I could have chosen several, but I've chosen I've chosen this one because it fits the best. Okay, so there's a little girl, not a little girl, a kind of teenage, young teen, 13 year old girl. She's rummaging around in her attic, and she comes across a dirty old lamp, and she decides to give it a polish, and puff, a genie appears out of the lamp, as they always do. And the genie says, what do you want me to do for you? Your wish is my command. And the, gen- and the little girl thinks for a bit, and she decides upon this. She says, I wish that I can become irresistible to boys. And so the genie says, your wish is my command, and puff, she was transformed into a beautiful, shiny, remote-controlled car. <laughs> <laughs> the little girl did not know what she was asking. And neither, says Jesus, did James and John. When they came to Jesus and said, Would you give us a place at your right and left hand in glory? Jesus' response was, you do not know what you are asking. It revealed their ignorance, their ignorance of what Jesus Christ was all about. It first of all 
revealed their ignorance of what it meant to follow Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it, that this instance comes just after Jesus has proclaimed to them really explicitly what awaits him in Jerusalem. He says, I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. I'm going to be beaten, flogged, and killed. It's kind of hard to work out why James and John and the rest of the disciples just don't really seem to get what's going on. They see Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, his being hailed as a king, as the kind of moment of glory, and they want to make sure they get in there quick and get their places secured in his new kingdom. But Jesus is clear what awaits them in Jerusalem. Maybe they just think he's talking metaphorically. Maybe they think he's saying, you know, there's going to be hard times up ahead, but we'll get through them and then glory awaits us. Maybe that's what they heard. I don't know. But Jesus says you don't know what you're asking. Because what it means to follow Jesus is to follow Jesus to the cross. This is what he's talking about when he says, can you drink the cup I have to drink? And can you be baptised with the baptism I am to be baptised with? Do you remember Jesus in the garden? As he's praying to his father, he says, Father, take this cup from me. When Jesus is talking about the cup, he's talking about the death, his death. In Luke, he talks about baptism. Luke 12, he says, I have a baptism to undergo. He's talking about a kind of immersion in suffering and pain and death, a baptism. Following Jesus means following Jesus to the cross. The path to glory, the path to the establishment of Jesus' kingdom means going through the cross. Jesus says the same thing to them in different words. When the disciples, the rest of the disciples, you heard about what James and John asked. They, it says they were indignant um, with James and John. It looks basically because they're annoyed that James and John got in there first. And Jesus called them together and he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. What does it mean to be slave of all? Well, Jesus shows us. He says being slave of all means giving your life for the sake of others. That's what he says in the very next verse. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Following Jesus means following him to death. It is a radical call to discipleship. And the disciples miss it. So they're ignorant, first of all, about what it means to follow Jesus. They're ignorant, second of all, and their answer reveals this, about their own hearts. Because they confidently declare um, their ability to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answer. But they can't, can they? And they can't see it. They've already failed the test. When they answer Jesus' question, what do you want me to do for you? It becomes clear. They don't want to serve like Jesus. They want to rule with Jesus. This question 
does more, in fact, than expose our hearts. It exposes our needs. Even when we can't see it, they can't drink the cup. They can't do what's required of them. They can't endure for the sake of others what Jesus endured. They can't give up human fame and status to serve others because they don't want that. They don't want to do that. They want to rule. Their question reveals their need for someone to help them. And in that sense, the blind Bartimaeus is further on than they. In fact, in the Gospels, blind Bartimaeus is presented as basically the model disciple. When blind Bartimaeus heard of Jesus coming down the road, probably he knew Jesus was being hailed as a king. That's what he, that's what he was saying when he said, son of David. He was saying, this is a king in the order of the great king of the past, the, the King David. And that's what people were saying about Jesus. So he cried out in those terms because I guess he might have thought kings have money, kings have resources. Maybe I'll be able to get some money from this king's entourage. That's, that's what he's called. That's what he does. He's a beggar. He sits at the road calling for money. But then when against all expectations, this future king of Israel doesn't just send one of his disciples to drop a few coins in his hat, but calls him over and asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? Then suddenly new possibilities emerged. Suddenly more became possible. Here's another joke. Um, a man, just call him, I originally read this as, a, as an Irishman, but we'll say a, a Southampton man just to make sure we're not being racist. Southampton man was sat in the guide dog pub um, down in Beavis Town in the corner of the pub and he sees on a shelf a dusty old lamp, so he gives the lamp a rub. <laughs> and, he's, and, and the genie appears from this lamp and says, This time you have two wishes. And the man thinks to himself for a bit, and then he realises exactly what he wants. He said, I'll have a, an, a never-ending pint of Gooden's Gold, which is the award-winning ale from the Cheriton Brewery up in, up in Cheriton. <laughs> it's a good choice. And the genie says, your wish is my command, and this pint appears in front of him, and he says, wow, look at that. So he drinks it down, and it's delicious, and he puts it on the table, and before it's down on the table, it's filled up again. And he drinks it down again. He puts it on the table, it's filled up again. The genie, meanwhile, is sitting there. He said, I've got, I said you had two wishes, you've got one more wish. And the, um, the Southampton man says, I'll have another one of them. <laughs> but blind Bartimaeus wasn't like that. When Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? New possibilities opened. He reached out in faith and said, not just a few coins, please. He said, I want to see. I want to see. What is it about that question? What do you want me to do for you? Because, you see, this isn't a question that kings normally ask, is it? What do you want me to do for you? Kings don't ask that question. Slaves ask that question. Master, what do you want me to do for you? 
That's a question slaves ask, not kings. But you see, this question reveals our God. Our God and King who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If you only understand this statement as an example to follow, you've not understood it. You're like James and John. You've not understood your need. I can't drink the cup of dying to myself that following Jesus entails. I just can't. I don't even want to do it. I need Jesus to do in me and for me what I cannot do myself. I need Jesus to serve me. I need him to set me free, to set me free from sin, which the Bible defines as basically self-centeredness and pride that hurts other people, that hurts myself. I need Jesus to set me free from this sin, from the punishment it deserves. And that is why he came. So when Jesus calls us to this radical, self-denying, self-sacrificing discipleship, yes, he's calling us to live the way he lived, but he's doing so much more. He said he came not to be served. Not to be served by who? Whom is he not to be served by? By the very disciples he's calling to follow him. He's saying, yes, drink my cup. Yes, give your life for the sake of others. Yes, be the slave of all. But don't think you're serving me. I don't need you to serve me. You need me to serve you. Do you think with all your self-centeredness and pride, with your love of being praised, with your slavery of self You can serve me. No, you need me to serve you. You need me to ransom you, to set you free. To set you free from the dark little dungeon of your own ego. To set you free from your slavery to your selfish desires. To set you free to love, to set you free to serve, to set you free to give yourself for others. That is why I came. And that galls us, doesn't it? We don't want to be needy. We want to be needed. We want to be useful. Do you remember Peter, when Jesus knelt down to wash his feet? What did he do? He curled them up and said, no, you will never, never wash my feet. But Jesus insisted, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. Unless, unless. What else did he say? He said, unless you become like a child. Unless you become like a child, you can never enter my kingdom. What is it about children? Their innocence, their cuteness. No, it's their neediness. We need our Lord Jesus to clean away our muck, to feed us, to hold our hands as we take our first steps. And that's what he came to to do. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, people laid down their cloaks on the road and hailed him as king. This was a kind of culturally appropriate thing to do. When a king entered the city, you laid down your coats in front of him and proclaimed him 
as king. We don't do that nowadays. If you threw your coat in front of the queen, you'd probably get arrested. But that's what they did then. But Jesus departed from the script. He rode not on a war horse that was fitting for a triumphant king. He came on a donkey. He came on a donkey as a child would, as a slave would. Jesus came to us in weakness and with meekness. He came gentle. Why? So that we would not fear to come to him. He comes to us as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah, in chapter 42, wrote of God's Messiah. He says, Behold my servant, my chosen one. When he comes, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. There was a writer, a Puritan writer called Richard Sibbs, and he loved this verse, and he wrote a whole book on it. It's called The Bruised Reed, and it's beautiful. And he says, Jesus came in gentleness and compassion to help us in our weakness. He says, we're not trees, we're reeds. We're like grass, and we're bruised reeds. Because whatever pretenses sin makes, it always leaves us bruised and broken. And he says, our faith is like a smouldering wick. It's all but gone. But then Jesus comes to us and says, what do you want me to do for you? So how will you answer? Please don't underestimate your need for Jesus, your need of what Jesus has to offer. Please don't think that trying harder to live better is enough. Jesus' demands are much higher than that, and what he offers is much greater. Come to him, acknowledge your self centeredness and your blindness. Ask him to do for you and in you what you could never do yourself. And come even with a smouldering wick, a smoking wick of faith. And realise just how willing and gentle and gracious Jesus is to meet us in our need. I want to finish with a quote from another Puritan actually called William Gurnell. He says about God this time, your, about our Father, your Heavenly Father is so eager to care for you. That while you are timidly asking for a nibble of peace and joy, he is longing for you to open your mouth wide so he can fill it. The more often you ask, the better. And the more you ask for, the more he welcomes you. Go quickly now. Search your heart from one end to the other and gather up all your weaknesses. Set them before the Almighty as the widow placed her empty vessels before the prophet. Expect a miracle of deliverance from the limitless resources of God. If you had more vessels to bring, you could have had them all filled. God has strength enough to give, but he has no strength to deny. Here, the Almighty himself, and with reverence I say it, is weak. Even a child, the weakest in grace of his family, 
who can but whisper, Father, is able to overcome him. Let's pray. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to us in meekness and gentleness, ready and willing to serve us. Thank you, Lord, for just how willing you were that you went to the cross to die for us. Father God, thank you that you receive us in our weakness You receive us in our need and you welcome us because you are humble and and gentle with us. Lord, we pray that we wouldn't um, miss or be blind to our need of you. Pray you'd reveal that in our hearts. Pray, Lord, that we would come to you and we would know that you're able to do in us and for us immeasurably more than we could even ask or imagine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.